This is the Territory Story Podcast News Bites. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello there, welcome to you. This is the Territory Story Podcast News Bites. I'm Peter Gowers. Let's get to the NT Independent online newspaper Bunker, catch up with Chris Walsh, the editor, find out what's happening in the world of news. G'day, Walshy. Hey, Pete, good to see you. Good to see you too, my friend. Busy, busy, busy is all I can describe the world that you must be in right now. <laughs> yeah, well, estimates, I guess, tends to do that for us. Um, yeah, every morning up and watching and uh, uh, sometimes some stuff comes out and sometimes kind of nothing comes out. And then stuff comes out that we already know. And you see the other media running like, oh, you know that that uh, prisoners from Holt's prison are being kept in the watch house. Like, yeah, yeah, we did, yeah. Yeah, we reported that. Um, what new is there? Story podcast about six weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, what's new there? Well, they don't really get into anything new. I mean, we knew that. Um, so, yeah, it's been another week kind of that hit and miss stuff in terms of uh, what we're learning. I mean, it is uh, corruption-busting season, and yet we're not... Uh, no one's busted too much. Yeah. 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 Not, not a lot, but I mean, yeah, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. There's still more to come. And we know that last week that um, the chief minister missed due to family reasons, but she was up this week. And I've got to say, so many stories about her. And look, what I can only describe as complete and utter lack of either preparation or willingness to discuss anything other yeah. than these one line you know n- not even you know headlines but just these one line ridiculous responses and yeah. i think nothing for me could highlight it more than uh, the whole crime issue that i know uh, robin lamley and the opposition went as hard as they could on but mm-hmm. um I-, I thought you know the most powerful piece this week from you guys amongst all of the chief minister's different things that she discussed was really uh, the open letter from Declan Laverty's mother about how she's literally done nothing to stop crime in the NT. Yeah. 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 From a victim, um, somebody lost their son and it was, it was very powerful. And of course she had taken the Facebook after files performance at estimates and, and, you know, but, but, but getting back to files, right. So she does show up and, uh, uh, at one point, she's reading like a like facts, like a fact sheet that was prepared for her, a two page mm-hmm. fact sheet, and CLP called her out on that. Um, yeah, it didn't seem like she was too vested in anything here. And of course, we know that she had her issues, right? With um, the explanation being that her son was unwell and they had to go interstate for treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, that kind of got interesting in the whole thing, too, is that, you know, I, I think that. That really, that the CLP probably should have acknowledged that before, because there was some other stuff that happened, and and I think Leah at one point mm-hmm. said, you know, you're getting emotional about this, and you shouldn't, and there's no room for emotion at estimates or something to that effect, okay. and it's like, well, but you know, you guys probably should have started this by saying, look, Chief Minister, we understand that your son was unwell, that you've had to go for treatment. We, we hope he's okay. We hope that your family's okay. Um, now we've got to get down to business here, but acknowledge it, right? Yeah. And um and they didn't do that. And it was probably a bit classless really not to not to do that. But anyway, look, she does have a job here as the chief minister and she has to answer these questions. And it didn't seem like she was across things. It seemed at times that she was getting frustrated or or upset. 
uh, and, and, you know, she has other things on her mind, clearly, um, which takes us back into that, 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 that and then we see this, you know, where she's saying, I mean, she's saying at one point, uh, stop asking me about crime. Like, this isn't my department. You should have brought that up with police, which of course they did Yeah, the opposition and, and, and the independent member, Robin Lamley, but you know, this, this is her, she's the chief minister. She's in charge of everything. So start right. talking about what you're doing. And she just really got away from it, trying to pin it on everybody else. Um, I suppose her only other tactic is to just straight out lie about it. Like, this is what we've seen. She either blames others or straight out lies about it. So, uh, Samara Laverty, of course, was watching this. And, you know, one of the questions was that, are you going to bring in this Declan's law, the CLPS, which, you know, from what I understand about it is that they would look at reforms to bail because, of course, the man who's alleged to have stabbed to death her son or murdered her son allegedly was um, uh, out on bail at the yeah. time. And he, he had used a knife, he had stabbed somebody before. Yeah. And so that's what the, the, the Laverty family want is um, stricter bail laws so that that doesn't happen again because why should you be on bail after you stab somebody and then to allegedly go and do it again and then kill somebody that time so you know and then it's such a raw issue and, and very emotive um for everybody involved here so she she took to facebook though after files performance and she said um that her son declan's death of course should be the catalyst for change that you as in the chief minister, refused to admit needs to happen. You've consistently denied the existence of knife and other crime in the Antisha Road. You're an absolute disgrace. My son's death was the catalyst for change that you refused to admit needs to happen. Declan's law needs to happen so that all those other people who die don't need to die because of your bail laws. The buck stops with you. You are why my son is dead. Yep, that was the line that hit me between the eyes. That uh, last line. Yeah. And then she, you know, went on from that and she said something about, you know, you didn't, you weren't there with the knife, but you allowed this to happen by not taking action and the bail stuff, uh, bail laws being so weak and broken. And we heard that the police union came out this week and said that as well. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, you know, the other thing that um, I'm trying to find this now. So, of course, the opposition uh, leader, Leo Finacchiaro, uh, asked what steps they were taking to implement what would be called Declan's Law that would involve changes to the Bail Act. Uh, uh, didn't seem like there was an ongoing review. It doesn't seem like we're going to get that. I think Files said um, that it's, of course, very difficult in terms of taking legislation and policy changes forward. We do that for all territories. She said, absolutely, Declan's legacy will continue to live on, and we consider his family and friends. We acknowledge the pain for Declan's family and his friends, and I've spoken to both of Declan's parents. Yeah. Now, this is what a politician says. Well, here's the, the actual yeah. mother of the victim saying, here's what actually happened. Uh, so Samara Lavery writing that she only spoke to Files once 10 days after her son was stabbed to death and, quote, you didn't say sorry. You didn't apologize in any way, shape, or form, Miss Lavery wrote on Facebook. Uh, you wouldn't even tell me if you had kids. You do, by the way. You denied that I was upset in Parliament. What gives you the right to tell me how I should feel? This happened under you, and yet you minimize and downplay and degrade my son's death, and the people in your territory were literally screaming for help against the violence. Um, yeah, you know, that that that's the kind of thing, though, that when you're dealing with, and, I, and I'll get back to that, that collective trauma, 
from something else that happened. But Faust, like, how do you not, how do you not as a person when you're talking to this woman who's just lost her son and she says, oh, you know, do you have any kids? And what did she say at that point? Like, she didn't tell the woman, yeah, I have a couple of kids. And yeah. I, I feel your pain. I, I know that this would be the worst thing a parent can can go through. She instead said, uh, well, you know, we're looking into it. It's a very complex issue of whether or not I have children. Uh, there's reviews going on right now. And and I'm sure maybe Samara said, no, just tell me do you have kids. I, like I said, there's reviews going on. It's a very complex issue of whether or not I have children. Uh, so we're looking into it right now. Checking the complexity of the complexities. <laughs> yeah, like this is, but I think we're starting to get an impression and a look at what, what Files is like here. Um, that That is very strange to me, though, that, that you wouldn't have that empathy to say, yes, I, I know how terrible this must be for you. And yeah. Files was unable to do that. And then Files is unable to do that as a human being, but she's also unable as a politician to you know, um, pass this legislative reform or whatever they have to do. Now, this review into bail uh, has been going on since November. So that was before, uh, you know, the March death of Declan. Um, and now they're saying, and it's really confusing, uh, Warden said this review is not going to be made public. Files seem to indicate that parts of it would, or maybe the whole thing would. It's very confusing there. And that was really what went on again this week. Well, last week was a lot of finger pointing and, whatever about the chalker stuff and now files came in and she's not taking responsibility. So everybody's just, there's a lot of unrest clearly within labor ranks. Um, and I would say in, in caucus overall in cabinet overall, because, you know, they wanted answers. Then you had Chancey take that joker got up as the attorney general. And he said, uh, and they asked, well, what about the legal fees for the chalker stuff? And he said, Oh, that's with DCM. You know, they paid for that. And mm-hmm. Robin Lim was like, what is this? This is ridiculous. We asked the chief minister for that. Anyway, um, yeah, hmm. look, it, so it was a bad performance, I think, from everybody all around. But in terms of that um, of that uh, bail stuff and what happened there, it's pretty bad. And, of course, you remember that they were ridiculed when they – uh, the files government for bringing in the, 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 the weapons. You know, if you were a medieval knight or a ninja, you were in big trouble with <laughs> the weapon. The catapult yeah. uh, was outlawed, but like bottles of rocks were, were not yeah. considered. You'd still get bail. Things um, that people actually use weren't considered. Yeah, so that, that kind of call happened. And of course, this weekend, then the NTPA came out just quickly on that and said, uh, files then the next day after her, her performance at estimates on the Monday went on uh, Katie Wolf show on Tuesday morning and said, well, the police are in charge of whether or not who gets bail. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they didn't care for that very much calling it insulting um, to their members and embarrassing to herself and the government for not realizing that the police can only do, can enforce right. the laws that exist. It, uh, so, Chris, at some point, isn't that automatic? Like, shouldn't that just be given a red card? Yeah. So you're not fit to hold the position. You need to move now. If you don't understand that, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it seemed pretty bad. And then Files, uh, later, I guess, apparently today, uh, issued an apology or called the Anti-Police Association said, oh, I didn't mean it like that. We all have a part to play. Uh, yeah, pretty embarrassing mistake there. Uh, and But what was she trying to do, right? Like, I mean, was she just trying to fool the public again and making people think that, oh, this is the police's fault? Mm. And no one's going to believe that. But, you know, that no, doesn't stop her and her lies, <laughs> whether or not people believe it. So yeah. anyway, yeah, look, that that was bad. But I think we'll, we'll get into more about estimates uh, next time I see you. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, what are some other big stories that uh, have been making news this week, Chris? <laughs> well, <laughs> all kinds of stuff, Pete. We had uh, – now – yeah, this one's a little a little strange here, but um, well, it's going to be big. I think it has the potential to be huge. Now, what happened on Friday? Um, so after we did the last podcast, I'm at work on Friday. I start hearing about um, a complaint that was filed. Now, with the uh, acting police commissioner Michael Murphy, of course, he's in the role after Jamie Chalker retired. Mm-hmm. which we know Chalker, geez, we've heard enough about that, I think, this week with his uh, payout and, and what that is and how we're never going to get it. <laughs> I think it was like uh, for legal fees, 16000 But, you know, they took a lot of advice from the Solicitor General for the NTU's job it is to do that. Anyway, uh, this other story is going to be huge as it plays out. Now, uh, there's, you know, I, I think everybody knows our coverage of the... Uh, Zach Rolf stuff and um, that criminal investigation into him. Uh, and we go back to the most recent story, which was the Pollock Proctor reports um, and how we finally, they were finally released and we saw that they were altered. I mean, there's so much going on with that case that, uh, you know, that, that, that just hasn't come out in the inquest. So what's happened now this week is that uh, uh, lawyers on behalf of Zach Rolf filed a complaint against a, a very senior detective uh, accusing him of perverting the course of justice. Now, this is a guy by the name of uh, Detective Senior Sergeant Wayne Newell. He currently leads the Special References Unit of the <laughs> Anti-Police. So this yep. guy's been promoted since uh, this whole Rolf investigation was botched and they lost their that, that, that murder trial. And, of course, he was found not guilty of murder uh, in the shooting death of Kumanjai Walker. Uh, now, this complaint from the lawyers says that uh, accuses um, Newell. It says he may have engaged in, quote, criminal conduct, such as, for example, perverting the course of justice. The complaint called for uh, acting police commissioner Michael Murphy to initiate an independent investigation into the matter. Uh, at the very least, serious disciplinary action may be warranted. The complaint stated at this stage, of course, any outcome will depend upon a comprehensive and independent investigation being undertaken. Uh, now, those allegations come seven weeks after former police commissioner Jamie Chalker retired from the role uh, after reaching that undisclosed settlement. But the, now we've seen the complaint. We've seen excerpts of court transcripts that were attached to that uh, from the murder trial, as well as emails. Uh, other internal police material, including from those uh, previously suppressed uh, reports, uh, coronial reports. Uh, now, they're saying in the complaint that this evidence shows that uh, Sergeant Newell withheld evidence from the defense team and at other times manipulated expert evidence. Uh, and we know about that, about the uh, U.S. criminologist Jeffrey Alpert. And remember, so mm-hmm. Newell was like one of the lead detectives on this on this investigation to charge Rolf with murder. And we've talked about that before, how the, that report by this guy Alpert had been edited to better suit the prosecution's case. Uh, there are emails that show this. This was in the coronial report. Some of the draft versions, anyway, some of them it wasn't then, incidentally. But uh you know, we know that this stuff happened. We've seen the emails. I've seen the emails. We've seen detectives' notes. We know that this happened. Uh, 
So what they said here is it goes without saying that an expert report is supposed to be compiled independent from any preconceived views of partiality, the complaint said. It seems that might not have been the case in this matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, there's also, he's also, um, the complaint also raised concerns about his involvement with other expert witnesses. Now, this was two medical experts who said that the scissors that Kumanjai Walker had that night were lethal. Um mm-hmm. You know, because yeah, it's, uh, uh, Rolf got stabbed in the shoulder, yep. the arm there. But if he had a got cut anywhere else, if it had a punctured somewhere in the, you know, yep. he'd, he'd be gone and bleed bleed out and uh, not too long. Um, so he had two people who said that. So he kept pushing people to find another expert who would say that the scissors were nothing; they wouldn't cause any harm. He goes to the chief forensic pathologist uh, who tells him. Uh, that the she couldn't give an opinion on the scissors because she she had conducted the autopsy yeah. on Kumajai Walker, which she suggested herself could raise a perception of bias. She recommended he find a clinical forensic expert. There's emails that show all this stuff. This is not a wild allegation. This is there's evidence. Uh, nevertheless, of course, though, she testified at the murder trial that the scissors could not cause serious injury which was discounted by the other two doctors in a test simulation by a textile expert that showed um, the walker, the scissors, the actual scissors Walker used could cut through pork belly. That's what they wow. tested it on, which they said was the most similar to the human flesh. Yeah. yeah, And thus caused serious harm to a human, which uh, was not immediately disclosed to the defense team. That My also God. wasn't the two doctors thing. And then this, this textile expert doing tests. Yeah. Um, now, what the complaint said, it was difficult to reconcile uh, what may have eventuated had those supplementary opinions of Dr. Botterill and Dr. Towsey had not been disclosed to Constable Rolf's legal team before the conclusion of the trial. So mm. they found out about it at some point, were able to enter that as evidence. Um, and then the complaint, of course, also referenced the Pollock Proctor stuff. We've gone through that a lot. We, we know all of that. Um, uh, yeah, the complaint argued that Rolf... Uh, should not have been charged with murder, of course, and that the charge was the result of bias against him. Uh, they said, when one looks to the context of this case and its investigation, it gives the impression of an attempt to gather evidence to fit the prosecution case. Uh, now, uh, there was also another line in here. Yeah, lawyers uh, for Rolf said in the complaint that their client had, quote, considered whether the appropriate, uh, appropriate course is to refer this matter to ICAC, but Rolf wanted the anti-police to, quote, properly investigate his concerns having regard to the resignation of the previous commissioner, Jamie Chalker. Right. So what they're saying is we don't want it to go to ICAC. We want the police to investigate this. And given that Chalker's gone now, we think it can be a proper investigation. Yeah. Yep. Now, this kind of we'll get into more detail next time we talk because there, there's a lot of play here and what that actually means. And, of course, today the anti-news ran one of their more confusing stories where they said uh, police say uh, Newell complaint referred to ICAC. But then if you read the story, at no time does Michael White, the assistant commissioner, ever say it was referred. In fact, he says in the story, well, we're reviewing this now. Mm. Uh, we'll make a determination on where the investigation goes. So, you know, that complaint was filed on Friday. On Monday morning, police got in contact with us and confirmed that they were, in fact, investigating. So we're trying to find out more about that. Should know more about that for you tomorrow. Um, but this is pretty serious. These, these are pretty serious allegations that go to the heart of uh, the public's faith and confidence in the justice system here and, and the police force. 
Yeah, absolutely, Chris. And you know, look, I'm I'm absolutely absolutely in no way an expert or a legal person or whatever. But so many times we're talking about this case and little deviations and things yeah. that seem to have been, you know, at odds with how investigations are normally carried out. Yeah, it's weird. And yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it a bit more next time, Pete, because mm. remember that Newell also happened to be involved with the Gwynn uh, matter. Right. He was one of the lead detectives there. Now she's raising issues through the NT News um, of complaints and issues that she had. She's going yep. for settlement. So, yeah, um, but it's going to get interesting overall because, of course, how did this, how did these little things, as you say, start to happen? And the, yeah. we've seen the notes, we've seen the reports. I mean, how how corrupt is the system? And that's what I think needs to get to the bottom of. Look, if it is sent to the ICAC, you might as well flush it down the toilet because that guy doesn't have the resources. He said this week he was up with files. Uh, Michael Riches, the ICAC, saying that he does not have enough resources. He does not have enough staff. Mm. And then, in fact, he does not know why he can't even hire people to be his staff. Um, hint here, Michael, it's you. You're the problem. Uh, look, when you can't, you can't produce anything in two years, you're the problem. It's not everybody else. This is two years of this. But anyway, so look, I, I think everybody's acting as if the ICAC doesn't exist anymore. And I think that's probably the healthy and best way, healthiest and best way to, to approach this. So if the police say, well, we'll just refer this over to the ICAC, they're hoping that it'll go away for at least two years. Um, so I don't know the facts on that. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm finding that out now. We've sent emails to people today about that. We've made calls. So um, we will find out and we'll have more info on that. But yeah, and then look, the other side of that is uh, can the police properly investigate uh, one of their own again? Yeah. Uh, but it's not that. Like, look, here, here's what I think solves that. AFP. I think we'd have right. trust and faith in the AFP to come in and do this independent. But you can't give this to an ICAC. This is so serious. This guy has said this week he doesn't have enough staff. He doesn't have enough resources. He's yep. way behind. So let's get let's get a pro in here and let's get the AFP in. That was troubling in itself. We won't talk about yeah. that now. But just those comments I found staggering. Is what, what's the point of having a department if you're not resourcing it properly? Yeah, we got to. Well. Yeah, anyway, we're, we'll get into that next time because that's a longer discussion because uh, I'm not really sure that it's everybody else's fault, like I said, except right. Richards, and he's blaming files on this, and I don't think she maybe deserves this. And they argued about the money there. If you can't hire people and you can't run your, your operation properly, then why would you expect it to continue to be funded or increased, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But anyway, we'll get into that because there's a lot there to unpack on what riches and what happened there. Okay. Yeah, we'll touch on that on the weekend as well. And Chris, um, what else are we likely to talk about on the weekend edition? Confucius. Ah, <laughs> again? Uh, yeah, look, this is um, – it just gets weirder and weirder. Like I've told you now yes. – uh, for a while that we we're going to have more stuff on this. We've been looking into it. I can tell you that like other things are happening too. There's still going to be more, but this was a, a story this week that we found out about earlier in the week is that the, the, the convex gals, Darwin there, um, he appears to, to know that his wife running the Confucius Institute is a bad look for him. And, you know, we revealed last week, whatever, that, that she is, in fact, the director now, despite his denials and CDU's denials for years. She is now the director. 
he seems to to know that that's problematic for him. And how we know that is that a 2020 email sent to him by a private citizen, not to him, sorry, to counsel, yep. suggested that his wife was the director, which she is now. And his response was to to send through his private email account an email to the citizen and threaten to sue her for even bringing it up. And he says something, if you even bring it up uh, privately or publicly, the next email you get will be from our lawyers. Wow. And it's like, she can't even snigger about at private parties. (laughs) Well, that's it. But you got to wonder, like, why is the guy doing this? Now, this was an email sent and it it raised, it was sent to Scott Waters, the former chief executive, and I think just the general Darwin Council. And what it asked was uh, Is there a conflict of interest between the Lord Mayor of Escalus signing MOUs in China, given he is married to the convener of the CDU Confucius Institute? Uh, the city of Darwin is a taxpayer-funded entity, so the perception of independence should be clear. Yeah. And this is so offensive you know, to the I, mayor. I thought it was a pretty reasonably written question, <laughs> too. You know, like, given, really is. Given the heavy-handed response, <laughs> I was like, there's something overly aggressive about the response that suggests yeah. more digging needs to be done. Exactly, that he knows that something's wrong here. Now, at the time, it's understood that, that his wife, Amy Uvaskelis, was not operating as the director or convener of the Confucius Institute, but was involved with the organization's activities. And that she had been seconded from Hanbin in China, which is the center of Confucius Institute, yeah. to CDU. So she definitely had links at the time. So this this person says this, he's signing all this stuff in China, um, she sends it to the chief executive and to the council and doesn't, you know, send it to Khan. But Khan decides through his private email account he's going to do this and respond to her. So he called the claims that his wife was running the institute scurrilous and false information, mm. which we now know to be true. <laughs> she is running it. So what is it now, Khan? Um, mm. And then he threatened legal action if the claims were repeated privately or publicly. A uh, lot of uh, six in here, you know, that we have to put in when the grammar of the sentence yep. isn't proper here. So he writes it like he speaks. Your allegation are not supported by any evidence. Well, there's evidence now. And on the contrary, I've made a clear statement about my wife's employment when this issue was raised by certain media outlet in the past. Well, that's <laughs> ABC. Yeah. It's not anyone else. My wife is not the convener of the Confucius Institute. A cursory look at CDU website will show you that my wife is lecturer Mandarin language employed directly by CDU. For you to continue to perpetuate this false information and full knowledge of the above is clearly defamatory, intending to cause hurt to an innocent party. It, it, again, funny expression, and maybe I'm missing something, but because she holds a certain title within a certain uh, organization, I'm not sure how that's defamatory. <laughs> yeah. you know, like, well, look, at the time, we didn't know what her position was. She, we knew she was involved. We didn't know she was director. Now we know she's the director, and she has been. I just found this out today since March of this year. Okay. So, so yeah, so there's going to be more stuff coming. But, you know, to, to suggest this, the, the con tells the citizen, um, you know, how dare you? He even says this is uh, the accusation that his wife was running the Confucius Institute then, at that time, less than yeah. three years ago was, quote, the figment of a sick imagination. 
<laughs> well, we're all living in that sick imagination now. This is the reality now. His wife is running the Confucius Institute. Yeah. Uh, how does he reconcile that? How does he reconcile this aggressive approach to bully a private citizen, threaten legal action? Mm. Um, saying that this is not true, this is, will never be true, essentially is what he's saying. It's perpetuating false information. We now know it's true. So has he declared conflict of interest? Has he registered? Has she registered with the, the foreign influencer registry? Um, we went to him. We asked him this stuff. He wouldn't say, wouldn't say how he reconciles his previous comments with the fact that his wife is now the director of that organization. Mm. He would also not uh, comment on the apparent conflict of interest that that creates or whether his cooperation agreements with China were compromised Yeah, because he, he was over there and we run a photo in here. We ran a photo of uh, his wife looking over his shoulder as he's signing. I saw and we now know that she is an operative here, the Chinese Communist Party, hmm. the Confucius Institute. Now I've spoken to some people. We'll get into this. I know we're running a little long here. People we'll get right. into this a little more detail on the weekend, but um, I just need to point out that, that it is run the Confucius Institute, run by the Chinese Communist Party, been criticized as a soft power push in Western countries. Of course, most of those are moving to shut it down yeah. uh, to promote the policies of Chinese President Xi Jinping, while ostensibly sold to the public as an education organization promoting Chinese culture and language. Uh, our friends, Canada, the U.S., and the U.K. have all moved to shut down over concerns of spying and the spread of propaganda at universities. In the U.S., now this is true, when I was talking to an expert about this, yep. those institutions, CIs, that continue to operate must report its spending and all activities to the U.S. government after intelligence officials deem the organization a risk to national security. Wow. That's pretty serious stuff. And, you know, calls have grown in Australia for them to be shut here. We got in touch with Emeritus Professor at the Center for Social Impact, uh, Faculty of Business and Law at Swinburne, University of Technology. He is one, uh, John Fitzgerald is his name, one of Australia's leading experts on China. So he, he got it. He said, Chris, sorry, I'm out of the country. I can't respond and give you the detail on this. But he said, I need you to go read this, um, this article that I've, I've written about this. Now, in the article, what he says, they, the role they, the Confucius Institutes, play in Australia is best viewed in light of the Communist Party's strategic plan for bringing foreign countries around to its way of thinking. Uh, he says, in President Xi Jinping's words, the strategy involves telling China stories well through every available channel, including media, community organizations, influential local po political figures. Right, uh, wow. influential local political figures and foreign education system. It also means excluding stories that don't reflect well on the communist government. Confucius Institutes are part of that strategy. Wow. So you've got you've got this issue now where you've got somebody who's running the Confucius Institute that, that's been deemed a national security risk in some of our Western ally countries. Uh, she's running that. She's literally in bed with the mayor of Darwin. We know that part of the strategy here is to influence local political figures. Yeah. Uh, job done there. Uh, <laughs> now, the other thing that this gets to, and there's like I said, there's going to be more about this because people are now tuned into this after this was kind of revealed, I think, inadvertently, uh, that, that Amy Uvetskalis is now the director of the Confucius Institute because Khan has signed these sister city arrangements. Now, if you remember the recent Darwin International Dragon Boat Festival. Yes. Yeah, a few weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago or something, might be three weeks, um, 
it was put on, they said it was the inaugural International Dragon Ball Festival. Some people thought that it had happened before. Anyway, they're calling it the inaugural because I think they've revamped this. Yeah, maybe it wasn't international last time. Yeah, run by the city of Darwin, but it was, quote, uh, designed to support, enhance, and promote connections between Darwin and its sister and friendship cities. The council mm. website said, but made no direct mention of China. <laughs> Unless you showed up there that day, which we nearly did. My wife wanted to go down with uh, with our daughter, um, and we got busy, and we didn't end up getting down there. But um, if I had walked into that, I'd have said, holy shit, what the hell's going on here? Yeah, because yeah. you can see these big signs. They have the Chinese ambassador. Nobody told anybody he was showing up. He yep. shows up. He gives a speech. They got Chinese dragon boat teams. Uh, from China, from the sister cities that Khan has signed these agreements with. And they're mm-hmm. telling their Chinese media that, oh, we've been training for years for this and we're ready to go. Meanwhile, the city of Darwin is saying, this is just a fun event. This is not a, up to yeah. international standards. Nothing to see here, you know. Not- it, it's all very strange, Pete. It is yeah. all very strange. So Khan, yeah, Chinese ambassador Zhao was there in attendance for the event. He gave a speech. Uh, Khan gave a speech. Uh, yeah, look, yeah, we, we don't, we don't have enough information here, but we got enough that this isn't looking good. Mm. And, um, and I'm telling you, Khan's got an issue here and he needs to address it and to just run and hide from us, uh, look, and threaten to sue people, bring up things that are not very much true. So, you know, he knew it was inappropriate. He knew it's an appropriate relationship mm. here now that, that creates a conflict of interest. He's signing deals in China. He's got to address this. And, you know, uh, thumbs down or whatever we'll give to, to Katie Wolf for not asking about it when he was on the next morning. That morning when the story broke, and she should have seen the other one too, but she gives him a free pass. You know, why does she do that? Well, you know, that's she's got her own reason to keep everybody happy and she's getting advertising from all kinds of people. Um, so she won't go into detail, but this is a very serious issue here. And if you're familiar with what's going on in Canada right now, too, where they're wanting to hold public inquiries into Chinese influence on elections, um, this is something that needs to be addressed and Khan can't just weasel his way out of it. But I'm telling you, we've been talking to enough people now and these stories have been extremely well read that, uh, there, there will be more to come. I'd love to have been at that meeting when, um, 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 sort of, do you remember uh, Maxwell Smart, Get Smart? Yeah, of course. I'm just, just remembering the character Harry Who, and uh, I'm picturing him sitting in this meeting of the Confucius <laughs> people getting together and saying, I won't do the accent, right? <laughs> we can't do that <laughs> anymore. <laughs> I'm just picturing someone that looks like Harry Who saying, listen, we've got to get people telling Chinese stories well. I'm sick of these Westerners doing our accent so badly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then Khan comes in with his Greek accent and I'll tell the stories. I'll tell the stories, my friends. Um, yeah, and that's what he's doing. And and you see this. But like, look, Chang Yifeng, one of the, the leading experts as well in the country who knows about Chinese foreign policy, he said, look, this is extremely, this is back in 2018 when suspicions were first raised. He said, look, this is very serious. This means that if, if, if his wife is the director of the Confucius Institute and he's signing this stuff, it means he's part of the Chinese influence network. This is, these are facts. This is what people are saying. I sent it to Khan for a response. Mm. We said, how do you respond to this? Uh, yeah. And he just thinks he can lay low and is making a full-time approach to uh, dealing with the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give them what they want. They want to invade something. Um, 
<laughs> anyway, it all comes out in the end. Um, I yeah. Anyway, I'm telling you there'll be more on that, and it, and it is, and it seems silly that this is happening, but it also kind of all makes sense when you think about it and con and and. But what are the implications, right? I mean, what what mm. what is this all about? Why are we holding an international Dragon Ball festival, and who the hell paid to bring these Chinese people in to mm. to do their Dragon boats and and did they did we need a whole team? Like I saw a photo with the ambassador, and there's at least like twenty guys in this dragon yeah, boat yeah. team. Like, and I'm not yeah. suggesting that they're doing. And, and sorry, because I know I'll get. I'm not suggesting that they're doing anything nefarious here, but I'm just saying, who's paying for that? Number one, yeah. why do we have these sister city friendship city agreements? And what is the overall? Well, we know what what that is with the soft power push with the yeah. Confucius Institute. But how, how, how far do they go in this? And that's what we're going to get to the bottom of. We'll talk about it more on the weekend. And also, Chris, just lastly, um, we mentioned last week, or you mentioned last week uh, on the weekend edition that a story was coming out in relation to the Holocaust Company, and that's now been released. And one of the most read articles of the week, and we'll talk yeah. about that in more detail on the weekend too. Yeah, absolutely, Pete. That's huge. Uh, that is just a big story here for for Darwin, for the Northern Territory, uh, and what the consequence of this. We're the ones, the NT News had a story that, uh, let's just be kind and say it wasn't exactly accurate. Uh, talked to a lot of people. We published a story here, and I'm sure everybody's read it by now, but um uh, this is this is pretty serious stuff, pretty heavy stuff that's going on with Helicos and the ATO. So we'll, we'll we'll talk about that a lot more on the weekend. I look forward to it. I'll catch you then, Chris. Great. Thanks, Pete. See you then. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Weekends with Walsh, back again on the weekend. That'll be released around 7 a.m. on Saturday morning. And uh, we'll catch you next week for the Territory Story Podcast News Bites. In the meantime, have a good week. That was the Territory Story News Bites for this week. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.